Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond GIS, the show that helps you leverage digital geography to make critical decisions in a changing world. I'm Kurt, your host and founder of Orbica, an organization committed to pioneering geospatial democracy. We're going to deep dive into topics like the role of geospatial and digital transformation, developments and opportunities in geospatial, space, earth observation, and helping you abolish silos for better collaboration and transparency and visibility. We're looking to drop a new episode every other Wednesday because we believe that everyone deserves to access and leverage the power of geospatial in the modern world. Hey everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of Beyond GIS. I'm your host, Kurt, and today we're interviewing a colleague of mine, uh, Santosh, uh, from our team here at Orbica. Uh, Santosh, uh, first of all, how how did you land in this world of GIS and geospatial? What's your journey to get here? Yeah, hi Kurt. Thank you for inviting me for the podcast. Um, So my journey is kind of interesting. So my background is in uh, kind of mathematics and economics. And uh, while studying economics in university, I kind of fell into this thing called GIS, which is pretty interesting. Um, At that time in the university, uh, GIS was not really that big, it wasn't really kind of part of economics, but I always thought that economics and geography kind of went well together. That's what I kind of chose to do my master's in economics and then I kind of discovered GIS and kind of got into that uh, kind of uh, field. And then slowly, when I started working on GIS projects within the university, I kind of understood the power of GIS and how it can be applied to solve a lot of economic problems. And so that's why um, I kind of started using GIS within my master's thesis and things like that. And after that, I kind of landed a a research position in the university doing um, kind of water research using GIS. And uh, we started studying things like groundwater and um, the use of groundwater against agriculture and how agricultural yield is impacted by groundwater and how groundwater is depleting or uh, recharging at an aquifer level in Texas. So that's kind of in a nutshell of how I got got into GIS. Um, So yeah, so when I was working in the university in the GIS industry or in the GIS field, um, I was involved everything from collection of data all the way through processing, analyzing it, and then at the end presenting reports, applications, and web services out of those uh, geospatial data sets. And so that's what kind of opened my eyes to how there's such a wide variety of applications of GIS, not just in the data collection world, but also in the development and analytical world. So yeah, so that's kind of my journey with in, into GIS in a nutshell. Mm, yeah, really interesting. I think, um, you know, I like the different background, you know, that mathematic view is quite interesting, yep. uh, economics. Um, if you reflect on sort of, you've talked about GIS and, and the broader picture of geospatial, yep. but you sort of, we, we sort of believe here that it's not just about GIS, it's very complex jargon and specialist tools. How do you sort of piece together GIS, the geospatial, to sort of the broader domain, which is really geography, digital yep. geography? Yeah. What, what does that all sort of, how does that mesh together in your head when you're thinking about the sort of problems we solve and help customers yep. uh, you know, go, go on a journey? So GIS for me is a very um, kind of IT term. I, I, it, I mean, it stands for Geographic Information Systems, which comes from information systems. So GIS is a subset, I find, of geospatial as a whole. So GIS is just the information systems that allows you to kind of the tools, processes, and people aspect of managing data, geospatial data. But geospatial as a whole for me is the thinking involved of problem solving. 
So when you're trying to solve a particular problem in the real world, such as maybe, let's say, flood risk or looking at deforestation or looking at insurance or looking at uh, utilities, it's about how do you apply geospatial thinking to solve those problems. And then GIS is one of the components that you might use to solve a geospatial problem. Um, so in my head, the way I kind of put that together is uh, you've got in GIS, you've kind of essentially have four main categories. So you've got the, um, the, the, the data management, data collection aspect, where you're involved with looking at data quality, um, collecting good data, high resolution data, and how do you manage that, which is where you would use GIS for. Then you have this whole world of analytics where there are a wide variety of tools available, not just within the GIS bucket, so to say, but in the wider geospatial technology world, such as, you know, there are geospatial tools that are now available within other software systems and things like that, like Python and R and things like that. So it's about how do we apply uh, those geospatial tools within geospatial thinking to solve a problem. So that's the analytical world. Then there's this whole world of geospatial application development. So that's the world of kind of cloud and mm -hmm. app development and how do we develop um, solutions and applications for end users to use the GIS and the analytics and everything that we've done in the back to expose those um, to our stakeholders. So that's how I kind of see it is Geospatial is a much bigger umbrella, which includes the way you think, the way you apply technology to solve problems, and also the way you um, kind of uh, communicate those results to end users. So it's not just the, the software or the tool, it's everything from the tools to the thinking to communication of the results. Where in that, if we call that sort of a geospatial value chain, yeah. for instance, uh, it's complex. It's really complex. Yeah, yeah, it's complicated. And there's different skill sets required along that journey as well of That's that right. sort of broader value chain. How do you see that working seamlessly within an organization or, or a team to bring together those cross-functional skills to allow yourself to go from collection of you know good quality data at the onset of a project and or sourcing that data yeah. through to the disseminated outcomes at the end, yeah. at actual behavior change ideally. At the end of the day, decisions should lead to some behavior change most of the time. Yep. Uh, where do you see that getting hooked up and stuck and bottlenecked on that sort of journey typically if we think about lots of the experience over the last five years? So in a geospatial value chain, like I said, um, you need different skill sets, you know, like data and management of data and data quality itself is such a massive domain that it, it requires a whole set of skill sets to uh, do a, a, a good quality job or do a good quality piece of work in the data management space. Mm. Same thing applies for development as well. You know, um, a, f a full stack developer who has come from a development background is going to have a lot more in-depth knowledge about good quality development, but might not have enough knowledge about geospatial techniques and technology. Whereas a geospatial person coming in might have a lot of knowledge about geospatial, but might not have the depth in um, development itself. So where I see the bottlenecks happening is a geospatial person is kind of involved across the entire value chain, but because he's missing that depth in knowledge in each one of those sectors, um, it leads to kind of either compromise in quality, either in the development space or in the analytical space or in the data space, because that one particular individual doesn't have the depth of knowledge in all of those different sectors, or in other bigger organizations where you have cross-functional teams, there's usually a delay in 
transfer of information because you might have a cross-functional team with very you know high quality developers high quality analysts and researchers but how that information gets transferred between these different teams ends up in a bottleneck because each of these individual person don't have doesn't have the geospatial knowledge mm. so if a you know a geospatial data analyst provides a data set to a developer the developer doesn't have the the, the know-how or the skill set to use that within his application development. Mm. So he has to go and learn about geospatial techniques and technologies and how they can incorporate that in development, which obviously leads to, um, you know, um, delay in time or delay in quality because just that geospatial knowledge has been so, not siloed, but it's been kind of in the hands of just geospatial people and it's not been exposed to developers and other uh, domain analysts and mm -hmm. domain researchers that there's a lot of time wasted in not wasted I would say uh, a lot of how to say a lot of waste no, I don't want to say waste but there's a lot of um, well, if it's been effort spent in transferring that knowledge between these different team members mm. right so if you're a developer then there's a quite a bit of time that the developer has to spend mm. learning about geospatial research techniques and how he or she can fit in within that process and where they can add value. So that's where I find the bottlenecks are, is if you are in the development space, then you know how do you handle large data sets? How do you handle streaming of data? Um, yes, there are best practices in development, but those best practices might not apply for geospatial data sets because uh, it's not been considered mm. uh, over the last years. So yeah, uh, so that, that's what I find where the bottlenecks are is in the lack of knowledge between the different cross-functional team members. Hmm. And um, is that a sort of language or translation thing? We're sort of operating with different languages because the language of geospatial is still a bit jargony in a sense. Yeah. Um, and so we're losing. I guess this is another way to say, you know, thinking about it as a data scientist, they're taught a lot of methods, statistical methods, you know, all sorts of different machine learning techniques, yep. right, about how to expose value from data. Yeah. But they're often not taught about geospatial yep. analytical techniques. But yep. really, it's just another technique, like other statistical modeling techniques. That's right. But yep. it, it just hasn't permeated here. We're starting to see changes. Yep. Our local university is now incorporating some geospatial stuff into data science. Yep. Fantastic. But yeah, how do you see that? And even reflecting Saga, you know, our head of AI here. Yeah. How do you reflect on his experience? Because he didn't know any geospatial when he first started with us. Yeah. And that journey to now be geo-empowered as a geospatial data scientist. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How do you reflect on all of that? Um, so from a data scientist point of view, from modeling and analytical point of view, um, geospatial is just another dimension of data set, right? So just like for any data, you might have a time dimension, you might have an attribute dimension. Um, geospatial is just another dimension of a data set. Um, now, time series data or temporal data is pretty uh, well established. It's pretty well known, so there's a lot of um, a lot of people when they come out of universities, they are aware of time series data and they can understand how to handle it. But because geospatial again has been in the hands of just geospatial people, um, other researchers and scientists have not been exposed to that. So when I started working with the with Saga, with who's head of AI, and when he first came in and was not aware of geospatial, and I started 
working with them, we started, we started understanding how geospatial is just another dimension and how we can start incorporating it into our regular mm -hmm. kind of data science models as well. The knowledge is out there. Um, it's just not very well, um, I guess, exposed. Mm. And I think uh, analysts and researchers, they have to go out of their way to find how to deal with geospatial data. And in my experience, what I've noticed is there's a lot of great analysts who do great work in modeling, but because they're not aware of these geospatial techniques, they're not able to take advantage of um, those techniques within their modeling, mm. and the, and in my and the minute I kind of show them or kind of you know lead them and give them a few resources where they can go look into, they immediately pick it up and they can start using it. So it's just a matter of, I guess, an education piece, it, it, knowledge sharing, knowledge right. sharing, um, and the ability for people to find this mo more easily. Mm. Right now, people don't even know, you know, like for example geospatial interpolation methods exist. So if you don't even know something exists, how do you even know how to look mm. for it? It's like Googling. If you don't know what to Google for, it's there. But if you don't know how to Google it, then you're not never going to find it. Yeah. So that's where we are with geospatial, I think, is the knowledge is out there. There are people out there who know how to do this, but it's just not very well advertised or very well exposed mm. or very well shared. Um, I don't know why that is. It might be because they might find, geospatial might find risk. If they start exposing these techniques to everybody, then they might find a bit. Well, it's interesting, right? I mean, I don't want to say that. <laughs> no, it's yeah. good. I mean, we, we hear around the traps this whole GIS is special thing. Yeah. But actually, it shouldn't be special. No. Uh, it should be a core technique that's thought about in other business processes. Yeah. Um, and used every day to help solve problems in business. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if it's special because we as GIS professionals want to keep it special because we feel threatened, or is it software licensing that keeps it locked up, or is it just so complicated that it just makes it hard? But, you know, I kind of, other complicated things are being democratized, yep. right? And I really believe to solve some of the big challenges this century, these decades, yep. is at the core of it. We're talking yep. about geography, right? So I guess if we should flip to that conversation, what does the broader, I guess, discipline of geography mean? Yeah. And we've got this GIS and we've got geospatial tools, techniques, methodologies. But really, to me, and being a geographer, it's how do we use and optimize use of physical resources on planet Earth yep. with the human and social interaction on top? And how do we understand that? Yeah. And then optimize and make better decisions going forward. Yeah. Uh, how does that roll up in your mind? Is that's the a core, core overarching discipline? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because this is something that we tackled, we were trying to tackle this even at a university when we were there. Um, when I was in the university, I was kind of involved with research, but the other half of my job was also teaching and building kind of course material. And one of the things that we noticed was GIS was just being taught in the geography department. Right? And we used to get students from biology, from architecture, from business, from landscape architecture, from civil engineering, all coming and taking these courses. And one of the hard things that we found was, you know, a lot of GIS geospatial is IT related. It's a lot of coding, it's a lot of computers, you know, which is kind of hard for, like, you know, you can't, I can't expect a biologist to just start coding immediately, mm. right? Or I, I can't expect a, a civil engineer to be a computer scientist to be able to develop these models. So one of the things that we started 
kind of advocating for within the university was to start teaching spatial within their own disciplines. Mm. So instead of sending biology students to the geography department to learn geospatial, why don't we bring GIS to you? So why, not, why don't you have a GIS course within biology or within engineering and you apply geospatial to your problems? Because it's really hard for, and this isn't, this isn't a university example, but I think this applies otherwise as well in other organizations because in most organizations you have a GIS team. The organization might be doing work in forestry, might be doing work in insurance, might be doing work in utilities, but you will still have a GIS team. And the GIS team just knows the GIS things. They don't know about forestry, they don't know about utilities. So it becomes a challenge and what ends up happening is these GIS kind of teams just end up being help desk support. Right? They don't actually use the power of geospatial to solve a problem. They just become end up managing data sets or managing workflows as BAU. And so the way to kind of, for, 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 uh, for the broader discipline, I think the way forward is to start incorporating geospatial into other disciplines, not keep geospatial as, an, as, a, as a separate entity and trying to uh, mm. shimmy problems into spatial take spatial to the problem, mm -hmm. you know? So like for example, right now, like time series data is now ubiquitous. No matter you pick any software, everybody's capturing timestamps. So if you're capturing timestamps, you can do all sorts of time series analysis. Any software can do that. And the same way in the future, if you start collecting locations against everything and it's stored, then any other software can then pick it up and start doing spatial analysis, mm -hmm. right? So right now, and we're slowly seeing that happen. It's not as common yet. Like even if I take an example of Excel, you know, there's a lot of functions within Excel that come out of the box to deal with time series. I can do date manipulation. I can do time manipulation within Excel. Spatial manipulation, not quite there yet. Uh, and even if it's there, it's probably some extra add-in or plug-in that somebody has developed and it's not really tested. And if it's tested and it's proven, then it's probably really expensive to bring in. Um, so that, and now slowly over the last maybe 10 years, the open source world has really opened up to this and they've taken the concept of geospatial and now they're developing plugins for mm. every other software out there. So now, um, no matter what kind of any big enterprise software that you pick has a geospatial plugin or an add-in to mm. it, which is where the world, I think, is going, is instead of having one software that does geospatial, you just bring geospatial to everything that you do on a day-to-day on -day basis, and you kind of incorporate that as your regular day-to-day -day flow. Yeah, I sort of talk about the concept of the internet's just ubiquitous, yeah. and no one would think about doing business without right. internet connectivity. Yeah. And same thing when we're talking about data and manipulation, geospatial should just be a first-class citizen and thinking, um, oh, I've got these techniques that can leverage and find cool value and insight in this data, just like temporal modeling, yeah. for instance, um, and other statistical modeling, regression, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is, right? Yeah. So with that in mind, you know, how do we do that? Uh, I guess at the moment, if we think about that classic geospatial team, yeah. do, we re, do we need to reinvent ourselves as, as a discipline? So, so start to become the thought leaders as geographers, as a core discipline, mm -hmm. we're really good at holistically thinking about the whole problem, yeah. right? And the whole solution. Yeah. And actually acknowledging that, and there's so much value in that visionary aspect of being a piece together, a solution from disparate data and problem statements. Yeah. And owning that and actually leading the development of projects, solutions, outcomes, yep. and not trying to be all things to all people, yep. not trying to hold on to, we do mapping, that's all we do, we want to keep doing it, we don't want the engineers to do it. Yep. 
And it just reminds me of one of the big um, engineering agencies here where they, um, they've got a big geospatial team and lots of, lo lots of software, lots of licenses, lots of data. And the hundreds of engineers, they don't get access to it. Yep. It's just, it's phenomenal. And they're stuck back on spreadsheets or shadow IT starts because they can download yeah. you know, XYZ QGIS or open source packages and get the job done. Yeah. But all of a sudden you've got stuff happening on C drives. And from a governance perspective, yikes, scary. Yep. So I don't know, what's your view on that? We should become sort of knowledge sharing and driving and empowering the rest of the team yep. rather than sort of holding on to geospatial processes? Yep. Uh, where does that fit in your world or how do you reflect on that? Um, I think from a, from a geographer's point of view, uh, geography obviously is a, is a domain of studying what happens on top of the earth. And everything happens on top of the earth at some time, at some location. Um, so as geographers, I think we should be always be um, kind of pushing the boundaries on how do we think about global problems or how do you think about problems in a geographic context. That's one thing. The other thing we have to also push the boundary on is to understand that these are just tools, that is softwares and libraries and codes and everything. Those are just tools in your toolkit. It's about how do we use the right toolkit and the right problem space mm -hmm. to solve the problem. So it's not about just, you know, having one piece of software or, you know, right now when, when, when you use the word GIS or geospatial, people just think about it as a tool, as a computer software or a technology. But as I want to, my dream, or the ideal state would be geospatial is not just a, a tool or a technique, it's a way of thinking, it's a way of approaching a particular problem. Um, and as GIS professionals or, 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 or as geospatial people, um, we should be advocating for that. We should be advocating for having um, spatial technologies embedded as part of the business workflows mm -hmm. and, um, you know, thinking about how, you know, which, whatever tools that people are using to do their, do their jobs, how do we bring spatial to them? And then the whole idea of governance and um, you know empowering non-geospatial people using GIS is to bring GIS to the tools that they're already mm -hmm. using. You know, um, the, you, the, the, the biggest barrier to entry for GIS, I feel, is, is the tool. Is the, the software itself is so complex that the, the, the ideas and the concepts of geospatial is so complex or not complex, people are not aware of it, so they find it complex. And on top of that, the software itself is complex. So not only do you have the concepts being complex, on top of that you have to learn the software, how to use it, which, which makes it very, which is a, frankly a turnoff, right? Whereas if there are engineers and scientists and analysts who are already familiar with the tools that they're using, then as geospatial people, we should be bringing geospatial thinking to their tools. And you know, right now we are living in the 21st century where everything is cloud native and everything can be managed um, in the cloud. All of the governance and all of the security and performance headaches that have already been taken off by the big players like AWS and Google and these guys are already tackling these big problems on how to um, manage security and governance at a higher level. So why not leverage that and start embedding just and uh, start embedding geospatial technologies into those existing workflows already that people are already using mm. currently. So that's the way I feel where we can be powerful is geospatial people are now bringing geospatial thinking to other disciplines. <clears throat> and um, 
educating and helping other disciplined folks mm. to understand how to incorporate geospatial within there and not to, um, I guess, hold on to the knowledge, share the knowledge, and um, yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting that sharing of the knowledge, I, I think, uh, as an industry, that's how the flywheel gets started, yep. or as a discipline. You, you, at the moment, so many execs don't understand what this GIS thing is or the geospatial thing is, right? Yeah. So we need that knowledge sharing piece to them. Yep. They'll go, oh man, that's what it means for me in my role. I can now plan health facilities or locations of schools or where to put the next solar farm, right? Yep. With objective data and analytics. If we can bring them in on the journey, surely they're going to be able to ask us better questions, yep. which go, oh man, that's interesting. We can answer that. We can actually solve that and empower that with geospatial. So yep. sort of getting that loop going. That's right. right? Yep. It's not just the technical bits either. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's also about when I, when I talk about that um, education piece or bringing them on the journey piece, it's also about when you said, you know, you've got these different personas, right? So you've got like the execs who want to understand what does geospatial mean for them. And then you've got other analysts who want to know what does geospatial mean to them. So it's about also, um, you know, when somebody is engaging with a geospatial person is to bring them along the journey. So if I'm, if I'm a geospatial person and I'm talking to an executive, then like you said, I'll be explaining to him how geospatial can be used to solve these big white problems for him. Whereas if I'm talking to a more technical person, such as a developer or an analyst, then I can tell him, I can, we should be talking about how applying geospatial within their current modeling can help improve their model results or can help improve uh, their insights or help get them more insights that they might not have thought of, which then eventually ends up being a better result for the executive as well, which means their modeling and their uh, predictions get better as well. So it's about when a particular persona is trying to solve a problem, it's about engaging at that point and saying, how can Geospatial help you at that particular part of the journey or part of the workflow or part of the solving, mm -hmm. problem solving mm -hmm. approach. And so at different um, sectors or not, at, at different, uh, what do you call it, at different phases of a workflow, we can introduce Geospatial and kind of show them the power of that instead of just keeping that as a separate process or mm. a separate thing is about uh, embedding it into their yeah, day world. I mean, it's interesting, right? Just thinking about that, we're talking a lot about geospatial data. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of data out there that doesn't have an X, Y, it hasn't got a coordinate yet, mm -hmm. right? But we can empower that often, right? Geo-enrich that data. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about a business, maybe a CRM, a customer database, um, whatever it might be, you know, the power of being able to then map all that and then all of a sudden sort of layer it together and join the CRM to the weather forecast data and I don't know the the traffic on the roads around it mm -hmm. you know the, that concept of geospatial as the glue yeah as the common reference system in a sense yeah yeah what, what do you see there and why is it so stifled so often I mean so often we go into an organization and, and partner with them yeah and we're like why is this not happening and they've got a geospatial team often an investment yeah for some reason something's been lost in translation and they haven't geo-enriched a very pertinent workflow yeah um, wh what are some of the impediments there what, what are you coming across all the time that stop that happening um, so what ends up and again this is again the, uh, probably the more traditional um, kind of workforce management, I guess, because you've got like the CRM 
in the CRM example, for example, um, the CRM tool set is probably handled by the customer relationship or the sales team or somebody like that. And usually they're not engaging the GIS team. And if they're engaging the GIS team, then the GIS team either is already overloaded with their current day-to-day -day jobs, so they, they don't have the, the time or the space, think space to innovate. Secondly, the sales team or the, the, the team that's using the CRM tools, don't have the knowledge again. It's going to say don't have the knowledge of how they can convert those addresses mm. into some kind of a location, and then overlay that with some weather data. Or the fact that that's even possible is not known. Mm. So if you don't even know what's possible, how do you even go about? I, you know, addressing that. Mm. And the only way for you to know that's possible is for you to engage somebody in geospatial, right? And but again, it's probably not the geospatial person's job or description to sit there and educate somebody about what they can do or what they cannot do. Is it because, again, we're not, and this is a, not just a geospatial problem, but a general data problem, yeah. we're not automating workflow enough. So often we're still doing a lot of manual work, right? Yeah. So, so this GIS team you're talking about, they might be, they're fundamentally there to create and manage the data, yeah. you know, make sure the data's up to date, yeah. which means they don't have the headspace, the time, because we all know they want to do more. Whenever yeah. you talk to them, um, they're like, I wish we could do the analysis. I wish we could do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, so again, does it actually come back to like fundamental digital transformation processes and because of culture within some organizations about we're not modernizing our workflow, yeah. we're not leveraging the cloud automation, da da da. So we're not freeing our teams up to actually think yeah. or have the time to think, to innovate. Yeah. Uh, would that be, which means they also don't have the time to knowledge share and maybe work with the sales team. Yeah. Uh, what do you see there? I mean, right now, again, like um, you know, we are living in the in, in the 21st century. A lot of these automation pains should be taken off of their hands, because um, you know, uh, somebody who has a really high skill set in understanding spatial statistics and spatial analysis should not be sitting there worrying about is this data going to get updated you know on a timely basis because that should be a solved problem it shouldn't be a big problem in today's world because we have um, a lot of technology right now that can handle all of that so i think one of the things is modernizing so it's not necessarily about upgrading it's about actually modernizing the way of thinking so if you look at um, a lot of financial tools for example nowadays they're all cloud-based right so for example i can take an example of let's say zero or you take an example of any of the banking applications you know it's you know banking which is such a complex concept you know it's it pretty much drives everything about our lives you know it has got our money it's got our savings, it's got our investments, and we just let that go by just logging in and pushing a few buttons. You know, when that can be so easy, why is just keeping a roads layer updated so painful? You know, it shouldn't be. And so, um, where I see that is uh, the spatial team, or just teams generally, and, I, and, and I'm seeing that nowadays, the more, uh, the newer uh, graduates, the new um, uh, workforce coming out of universities are more tech savvy. They are a lot more um, technically advanced, I would say. So even, you know, I would say like 20 years ago, if you knew how to use Microsoft Word, then you would be on a pretty high paycheck. Uh, but right now, if you don't know Microsoft Word, you probably won't get a job. 
right? So that's that's the world we live in. Is and I, and I think in 15 or oh, not, it's happening right now. But even in the near future, in five years, maybe you know, all of your biologists and ecologists coming out, they will come out with knowledge of geospatial. They will know that, that, that geospatial mm -hmm. is possible, and. You know, you're, in today's world, you're not going to attract these kind of talents if they have to come there and keep their data up to, mm. up to date. Because they want to be doing more challenging problems. They want to be solving challenging problems. So yeah, and, and the tools are available out there. We can sit there and automate and set up the security and performance for all of their BAU processes. Um, it just requires a little bit of investment and a bit of thinking. Um, but it's doable, and I think people should be focused on solving higher challenging problems hmm. uh, than sp still spending time in keeping their data up to date. We've talked about, you sort of touched on there, the banking experience yeah. or, or whatnot. Often I sort of talk about, you know, the consumer tech yeah. uh, banking experiences, Uber, yeah. Airbnb, Google Maps. Um, but enterprise tools generally just aren't there. No. And, and the expectation now of we are still customers of all that other stuff as well as working somewhere that expectation of why isn't work just like Google Maps or yeah. Uber, that frictionless experience to get the outcome you're after. So if we think about developer experiences, yeah. kind of, and trying to bring, uh, I guess, value to a broad audience, set of customers, set of stakeholders, how do you see them interconnecting? Because it's easy now to bring in an API and slap in a, yep. a, a mapping base into an application. It's still quite hard to go, oh, beyond the point I can collect on that, I actually want to do some buffers or some interpretive analysis or spatial stuff. Mm -hmm. It's still really difficult. Yeah. Why is that? Where do you see that dev experience, which is kind of the last mile of the value of the geospatial product chain? Yeah. Where do you see that coming? How do we, how do we as a geospatial community help there? Um, so currently, you know, um, there's a lot of like proprietary software available out there that kind of provide um, um, those kind of resource bases for developers to go in and build the applications. But that's again a very small subset. That's again people who know about geospatial and who have kind of uh, invested into a particular system or a particular software. Mm. And then they're getting support to do development on that. But if you are just you know, a normal, not a spatial developer, just a normal developer, uh, then there's not a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of tools and technology out there uh, but the, the exposure of that is missing. So what would be really beneficial is to have um, some kind of a, a platform or something like that where a developer can just go in and can still start continue building the apps or building solutions like the way they currently build, but along with that have the ability to incorporate uh, spatial functions without actually having to know how to implement them. So what do I mean by that? So for example, you know, uh, an a app developer might know that I might want to click on a map and I want to find the nearest restaurants where I've clicked, right? Now that is a, from a GIS point of view, which is a simple tool where you click and you make a buffer and you select all the points within that particular buffer. But for a developer, you know, he doesn't care about knowing or, or having the best method to find the nearest uh, restaurants and he just wants to find the nearest restaurants, right? So all he needs is some kind of an API where he just gives it a location and just comes back with all of the restaurants. Um, so wouldn't it be nice just to have a platform where they can just go in and provide it a location and give it some 
other data sets that they want, maybe restaurants, maybe bars, maybe event locations, mm. and they just turn that on, and they just get that as an API, and they can continue building their apps without having to walk, be bogged down about where do I go get restaurant data, where do I go get my roads data, and where do I actually create the buffer, how do I store that information. I know all of that uh, could be abstracted because all of that is a solved problem. Um, there are tools and technology out there that's already solved that and providing you a rich experience to build your apps. Um, it, what's missing is taking that to the developers' hands and for them to build their apps. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in my kind of ideal world, what would be nice is to have a, a, a collection of all of these spatial libraries and spatial functions available as endpoints with some nice documentation and some nice um, kind of uh, journey walkthroughs. So you know, if a, if a developer wants to build an app, Okay, so you would go about doing it. If an analyst wants to incorporate um, geospatial techniques into his analysis, um, then we can just provide them with the, with the functions that they want to uh, interact with, and they should be able to just plug it in into their current work workflow. Mm. A biologist should not have to worry about what is the best interpolation method for spatial interpolation. That's not his or her job. Um, their job is to look at migration patterns of birds or you know that's what their focus is and so as geospatial community and as geospatial people we should be allowing and creating tools and technology to enable that in their day-to-day -day work not having them come to us to solve that problem for them because that is intrinsically not scalable because if if you always need a man in the middle to solve that geospatial problem then that intrinsically is not scalable because it's always dependent upon one person or a collective of people. Mm. Um, and so you will never, that, that knowledge or that information will never reach the wider audience if you keep holding on to that information. So it's about enabling all of these different uh, uh, people working in different industries, different sectors, um, is enabling them and giving them and taking geospatial to them rather mm. than them coming to geospatial. What um, I reflect on it all the time. This world we live in with climate change, you know, all of the stuff, the second order effects of all of it. Yeah. Um, we're seeing it all around us all the time. It's such a geospatial problem, a geography problem. It's, yep. You know, it's kind of the digital twin of the planet in a sense, right? Yep. Which is what we can build with Landsat products and other stuff, uh, you know, in different angles and different views. But to me, it's lost at the storytelling side. Yeah. You know, like we're not, the data's there. There's more coming all the time. There's so much data and I feel like behavior change isn't changing yeah. of how humans, government, societies using our scarce resource and the impact on the planet because it's not being made real to them. And I, it's, I guess it's just a statement really, but that dichotomy I have of when you put a map in front of someone, what's the first thing they do? Zoom to their house. Yeah. It's the way they bring context to often quite complex data. Mm -hmm. And they understand it intrinsically straight away if the map's well designed. Yep. Yet further down that pipe, somehow it's been lost in translation. Like somehow we're not putting enough mapping products or, uh, you know, putting geospatial a results analysis into the world that it's not telling the right story to the right people it's not driving the behavior change I don't know uh, it's just I find it weird that there's this dichotomy of maps mean so much to people mm -hmm. but geospatial GIS techniques technologies data that produce maps 
it's a loss on most people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that's a pretty good observation because I've kind of had similar observations in the past and ha having worked in universities, pretty, um, pretty visible there. Um, a lot of this research, especially in the climate change world, is, is quite academic. And, uh, you know, there's a, and, and not just in the climate research world, even in food, agriculture, water, um, environment, uh, yeah, utilities, business, all of these. A lot of the research happens, it's very academic, so they would publish a paper on it, they would make some maps, and that map will get made into a PDF and, and sit in a, in a publication, and then some news article or somebody might pick up that publication mm -hmm. and make an article about it. It's a small map that you see. Um, and the problem is because academics are there for pushing the boundary on knowledge, so they are constantly trying to solve the hardest problem. But once the problem is solved in an academic sense, it's not getting put into practice in an applicable hmm. fashion. So there's a lot of good research that's happening that's sitting on shelves in libraries and JSTOR and other repositories out there, but that research is actually not reaching the public because um, it's not the academics intention to change the world, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I make an example of, let's say, um, you know, Edison. He was interested in inventing the bulb, but he wasn't really invent, uh, interested in selling a lot of it, right? And so he was he really understood the value of the bulb, but he was not able to um, understand why it's actually useful to a lot of people. And then it, it had to be manufactured and mass produced and then a business model put around it for it to be actually be sellable and mm. useful and have utility for the public. Um, so in the same way, a lot of geospatial research happens in the research and academic world and it just sits within that yeah. academic community. And uh, you know, most public don't want to go and read reams and reams of PDF documents to understand climate research. Mm. And if you look at news articles, they, you know, they are like five minute, 10 minute sound bites and they'll just sensationalize the result or some controversial or non-controversial items of a paper and then that just becomes a sound bite in, a, in just a social consciousness mm. and nobody actually goes in and investigates the details. Mm. And to do that, right now, the only way to do it is to go and read PDF documents and pages and pages of paper. There is not a lot of good visualization um, applications or tools out there to actually take that to the public, right? I mean, think how much is lost, right? So you talked about PDF, there's a map in it. Yeah. You may be looking at, I don't know, the increase of temperature across the globe over the next 100 years. Yeah. Imagine the richness of data behind that. Yeah. Science, analysis, and yet we get a, a I don't know, a four by four six paper, inch yeah. picture of the entire globe, and that's what you see as a consumer of that information, yeah. of that research. I mean, I just feel like so much is left on the table. Yep. Um, it, it blows my mind. But again, if we come back, that's the challenge, I think. We have to be all of what we've discussed today and change the view of what it means to be a geographer, a yep. geospatial guy, a GIS person. Um, but we have to become storytellers. Yeah. It's on us to make it relevant. People say GIS is special. Well, no, it shouldn't be. We shouldn't keep it special. No. And yeah. how do we make it relevant to the others? That's right. And you know, it's scary. You, you couple the trends of all this data that exists in enterprise and, and coming at us all the time, how little of it's being used. Yeah. And value isn't being realized. 
coupled with just amazing research that's happening everywhere, but it sits on a dusty shelf. Yep. And none of it matters. If there's an alien sitting above us, they go, what on earth is going on? They have to apply all that stuff, link the research to the data, and then they'll understand how to move together in harmony with the planet. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I mean, and, and right now, you know, I mean, we are living, we're living in a world where, um, you know, they've, we've got games like, um, what is that, uh, Pokemon Go and stuff. Yeah, Roblox, you know? my kids yeah, are... Yeah, and, and you know, kids are now beginning to code and build applications mm -hmm. at the age of 8 or 10. Um, so why is it difficult for academics to just make a simple, useful map that any public can go in and start using it? Uh, there's a couple of caveats there, I think. One of them is uh, part of geospatial is also a bit of an art. Right? I mean, it's not pure mm -hmm. science. There's a bit of an art to geography as well. That's why it's not a science, it's, it is an art. <laughs> um, because you have to be able to put different pieces of information together to tell a narrative. And that is the point of an artist, is to tell a narrative. And geographers intrinsically are narrators. That's what they do, is they study what's happening around the world and they tell a story of what's mm. happening. And Traditionally, they've just written a paper about it. Yeah, yeah. Now there are tools and technology to make interactive narr narrations out there, right? And that's where we need to be pushing the bar, is mm. geographers should be advocating for more engaged narratives rather than just, you know, I mean, and think about it, like 500 years ago when um, Mercator came out with his first map of, I think it was London? And it had all the street art around each of the city and the suburbs. That was the first street map. And that was a, a, the best way. And the, and, and, the, and the amount of engagement he got from people of understanding how London actually looks was so rich and was so popular. You know, what has happened? And that, that is a true geographer, is how he's able to explain the entire environment on an artistic medium and be able to tell that story. Mm. You know, and that's what I think is getting lost nowadays with the geospatial people or the geospatial um, kind of workforce is they're so bogged down in just the day-to-day -day of keeping data up to date and the IT issues and managing security. They're not able to actually apply that side of their skill of cartography and storytelling mm. to engage users. And that's the other thing that I think that geographers can help is you know, again, as part of knowledge sharing education with researchers and scientists and app developers about how do they actually tell a story. You know, an app developer might be really good in making a really beautiful looking app, but if you can't tell a story with the data, then um, that's where I think geographers should come in mm. and kind of push the boundary there of how narratives can be said using maps. I mean, we see both solutions. ways, right? You're touching on that, but you can have an amazing application, amazing UI, UX, it's really engaging, but the rubbish, the, the, the data's the, rubbish. Yeah. Well, we look at it and go, what? Like, how did you come up with that result? What's the analysis process? What were your input data? Yeah. Vice versa, you have amazing science happen, amazing results, amazing algorithms being put together, models being built, yeah. but then it's shared in a PDF. Yeah. So again, we've got to join forces and we've got to think about that as a sort of geospatial product sort of data chain, yeah. value chain, and going, it's not done until it's done. And we yeah. have to understand the full end-to-end -end process and understand the audiences at the other end and just try and connect the dots all the way through. Yeah. And back to the academic stuff, I mean, 
I think, you know, they're often trying to do stuff that will have an outsized impact on the world, but the incentive model of education systems, I think, has a lot that needs to be improved. They're having to chase funding all the time at a project level, yeah. a bit like what happens um, here sometimes is the project ends, we have to move on to the next one. Same thing for them. And so it, it lands, the deliverable that's asked is the report, and then they're on to trying to bid for the next funding to start the next project. And so I think there just needs to be a full shake-up of, of all of this, and just that better understanding of how academia and industry and community can seamlessly pay better together. Yeah. Um, look, this has been an awesome session, Santosh. Um, I guess to, to end it, what what are you excited about? What, what's the sort of one thing that you, you think as a geographer, as a ge geospatial practitioner, what are you excited about in terms of what you're doing, where we're going, where the world's going? Um, so what I'm really, truly excited about is I think um, the newer generation, the newer workforce that's coming out, I think is a lot more uh, technically aware, technically awakened. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of build products and solutions that takes geospatial to the hands of these um, practitioners. Um, and that's where I've, I find myself really, that's what excites me the most, is how, how, how can I, if every day, if I can help one person learn and understand geospatial better, I think I'll sleep well that night. So that's kind of what drives me. Hey, look, yeah. uh, amazing. <laughs> Thanks for your insights, your conversations, your stories today. And um, we'll see you around the office. Sounds good. Thanks, great. Thanks, Santosh. Alrighty, I hope that was helpful and you got some good content or ideas out of today's episode. If you have any questions, find me on LinkedIn. Check the show notes below for the spelling and link or reach out to us at orbica.com. And I'll catch you in the next one.